Hi, and welcome to another episode of That Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And it's been a while, Bo. How are you doing? Well, I've been doing all right. Uh, it's finally cold here in the States. I don't know what it's like over in the UK, but I think it was 20 degrees Fahrenheit here the other day, which is well below zero. <laughs> so, Well below zero Celsius. Yeah, I think so, yep. yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's starting to get to be winter here. So now I get to see what it'll be like as a homeowner during winter. Uh, we already had to do some snow shoveling once. Uh, we'll see how quickly that gets old. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll get old pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. We, um, it's not that cold here yet. Uh, we've um, had a little bit of cold now and then, uh, but it's been wet here. We, we seem to have rained for days and days. Everything feels damp everywhere. You look puddles, you know, it just doesn't seem to be drying up. So that's a bit rubbish. It's funny you should mention the Fahrenheit. Um, I don't suppose you saw tweets go around quite viral. Uh, someone, I wouldn't say some, well, I guess he might be considered a millennial, but he was only, he was only a few years younger than me. Um, he was a games developer and he said, uh, he was, so he was 30 years old and he said he'd only, he just discovered how many ounces were in a pound. <laughs> And he couldn't believe it. And then he found out how many pounds are in a stone and so on and so forth. It was a really good uh, multiple tweet rant. Uh, and one of the bits that really tickled me was uh, he'd gotten to the Americans a, a bit. And uh, particularly the cups. When we see, It's very frustrating for us when we see uh, recipes uh, that are American. And it'll say a cup of something. Now, now we have hundreds of sizes of cups in this country anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, one of his tweets said, uh, how many Fahrenheit are in a cup? And uh, it, it just tickled me. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I I, uh, I just recently watched something about, uh, I think it was someone who was German driving in the States. Uh, it was just yeah. one of those viral Facebook things. And that was pretty amusing to watch. <laughs> Having uh, had an opportunity to drive in other countries, I could appreciate it. Um, but living here was also pretty, pretty amusing. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. The, let's see the, I think that uh, there was something somewhere someone posted about Fahrenheit versus Kelvin and versus Celsius and things like that. And the only way or the only time that Fahrenheit makes sense is 100 degrees is hot and negative 100 degrees is hot. (laughs) (laughs) No, and negative 100 degrees is really cold. Cold, yeah. Uh, Whereas everything else, you know, zero might mean something like it's totally fine. Otherwise, it might mean you're dead. <laughs> versus a hundred might mean you're fine. Versus maybe you're dead. <laughs> so, uh, so Fahrenheit does have its place, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So um, I guess my big thing that I've been working on since we talked last has been Astrocasts, which um, I think I started in September, the end of September. So that means we haven't recorded in a while. <laughs> yeah, well, you've been busy. I mean, you. Yeah, I, I've yeah. been busy, but not with anything of interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On top of the the normal stuff that I'm doing for work stuff, um, I think I think if I actually added it up, it's probably around sixty hours worth of content now uh, between two projects. Um, directly related to that podcast, I guess, is one of the projects was rewriting the website. Uh, to be a sculpt, from a Sculpin static site to a Symphony Flex application or Symphony 4 based application using Flex. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's also been very interesting to kind of put myself out there and let other people sort of watch me stumble and, and things like that. Um, you know, people always talk about live, live demos or live code demos 
uh, for talks as being a bad idea. And this has been just like that six hours a week. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and it's, uh, it's also done a lot to help me not get stuck in the planning phase, which I know, you know, and I'm pretty sure the listeners have a pretty good idea that I have no problem at all thinking about a problem for mm. weeks at a time and never actually getting anything done. And this has been really good for just making me do stuff. I have to make decisions. I can't just think about it for half an hour because that would be pretty boring. So I just got to try things. And if it doesn't work, then I try something else. Uh, so it's been, it's been really good. I've been pretty excited about it. Yeah. So you've got, so far you've got live content, haven't you? And, um, are you, what are the, what are the plans going forward? Do you, have you made your mind up yet, but why are you going to start progressing? Cause you were talking about maybe creating courses or polished videos, for, like, yeah. which would be different to the, the live style videos. Uh, what have you got any plans for going forward? Uh, well, that's, that's getting back into my old habit of thinking about things too much. Uh, but I do have plans for that. Like, um, a lot of the things I'd like to do is, um, just like little tiny bits of playing with ideas and I, and different types of concepts and things like that. Like I used to do a lot with like the event sourcing and CQRS stuff. Um, I used to do a lot of stuff when I was building Sculpin, uh, trying all sorts of different things and different patterns. Um, I know that you and I did a lot of that kind of back in like the, early 2010s when we were playing with Silex. Um, so a lot of really cool ideas that we did, you know, things came out of that like stack um, that we actually got uh, Fabian on board with controllers as a service, which I don't think he even really liked. And I think you were the one who kind of pushed for that to be a thing. Um, so I, I'd like to get back to those sorts of things, um, kind of try out some ideas, refine them, polish them, and then make little videos about them and share those with other people. Um, the whole content creation thing has been interesting because like I've tried to do that in the past with like blogging and that was never very, I don't know. I, I never felt like that was my thing. Like I wanted it to be, and I tried really hard, but I've been really enjoying the video stuff. Uh, and if I think about it, I've really enjoyed the podcast stuff as well. So like this kind of uh, content is closer, I guess, to like giving talks or tutorials and things like that versus writing stuff down. You know, like I know a lot of people who've written books and are really prolific bloggers. That's never really been me, uh, but mm -hmm. I've seen, I've, I really seem to like this. I'm enjoying this quite a bit. Oh, that's good. Well, it makes it a lot easier to carry on if you're enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, the other thing was actually having a schedule. <laughs> Uh, if you're doing blogging or things like that, I know that I've, I've heard writers talking about, you just have to sit down and write. Uh, you just have to make it happen. And I, I guess I sort of did that with this also, because I, I set a date and publicly announced it, whether anyone even saw it, it was actually out there. So I knew I had to do my first one on September 24th. Um, and then I set up a schedule and I've stuck to it uh, with the exception of actually being out of town. Um, but otherwise it's been, it's been pretty good. And it's been super helpful to have that thing where even if nobody shows up, there's that accountability of there might be people who are expecting you at four o'clock. You have to be there. You have to start your stream and you have to do something. Uh, so I, I need to keep that in mind for any of the other things I want to do in my life, uh, just to actually like set a schedule and stick to it and just keep at it because otherwise it's really easy for me just to not do anything. 
Um, even with the, the Astrocast stuff, I mean, I probably spent a month just trying out different streaming techniques and different software and different videos, um, you know, like the, the little face cam thing and trying music and making it dip and all this stuff. And it was, it really wasn't helping, <laughs> you know, as soon as I did my first episode or two, I realized I hated programming with music, uh, while I was talking. So like, I don't know, I probably spent 20 hours just trying to get that music mix just right. Um, I don't know. It's the same thing that applies to launching anything, I guess you, you launch it and figure out what works and what doesn't. Uh, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really exciting. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I haven't watched every minute, but uh, particularly if I've been at my desk, I'll, I'll pop it on and sort of keep my eye on it. Nice. Yeah. The, the thing that, um, the thing that is a little weird is I never have a good idea of how many people are watching. Um, I have a, a couple of tools that sort of tell me uh, Twitch itself doesn't necessarily give you a really good idea of that. Um, and sometimes it's me. Like if I actually am working on Astrocast while streaming, um, I'll pull it up and then I count as a viewer. It's, you know, and it says that I'm online at other times you know, I have a little tiny indicator on my stream deck that says how many viewers I have. And sometime I'll know there are people in there and they'll be talking to me in chat and I'll have zero. So it's been a little weird trying to figure out just how big the audience is and how, like what sort of things are happening behind the scenes, but I'm hoping I can continue to do more of that kind of thing. And I've been, the, I've actually been building the whole streaming site as a part of one of the live sessions. So the, the first well, the first two, one was rebuilding uh, that podcast website. And then the other one was essentially everything from that first initial landing page on for astrocast.com has all been streamed uh, or live streamed. It's maybe, maybe 10 hours where I've done stuff offline, like on a weekend or at, at a night or something. Um, there were a couple of times where um, like I had the, the schedule up where I knew that um, – had done an iCal thing so that I could say, these are the times I'm streaming. And then on the site, it looked at that iCal feed and actually showed that. Well, I knew I was going on vacation the following week. So uh, the iCal feed wasn't smart enough yet to look at canceled events. Right. So I, even though I removed the iCal entry, or even though I moved the calendar entries on Google Calendar, it was still showed it was online. So yeah, there were a couple of times like that where I had to do some emergency fixes. But um, it is kind of cool that like I have it documented exactly everything that happened from beginning to end for two projects, uh, which feels pretty cool. <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely, it's really cool. And uh, the so the pod, the website for the podcast is switched over now. Yep. Uh, so. We're no longer on the static. I don't yep. even know where that was hosted. Where was that hosted? That was hosted on. Um, it was a, it was hosted on a Forge managed uh, uh, DigitalOcean droplet, right. and I actually destroyed it. I, I destroyed that droplet. Um, my intention was to rename it to Sculpin.thatpodcast.io just so we could have a fallback and I could still check it. Um, but during the process, something happened and I wasn't able to. Uh, like change the name. Well, I changed the name, but I, in trying to get a Let's Encrypt certificate, it kept failing for some reason. So I decided just to toss it. That whole system was only there for that podcast website. So uh, we got to get rid of that, which was pretty nice. The the coolest feature 
that I added. Uh, I kind of wanted to intentionally limit the scope of the project, at least initially. Uh, I wanted to just be able to switch it on to the new site. Um, I also wanted to be able to publish or put episodes up before they're published. Um, so that was pr pretty much the only major feature. Uh, but sort of at the last minute, I was able to get something else in where it's actually uh, updating the MP3 file with the metadata from the episode. So uh, I no longer have to come up with the title and the number and all of that other stuff beforehand um, when I'm actually, you know, doing the post-production stuff. I can post-produce like six episodes now and upload them all and deal with everything else later and it's all automated. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, that was pretty much the only other major feature with the new site, uh, but I think it's a big one. I'm pretty excited about mm. it. And, and, aren't you generating images on the fly as well? Mm -hmm. That's a new feature, right? Yep, yep, that's a new feature too. Uh, so that feature was originally going to be a lot simpler Um and it came around from updating the MP3. I wanted to be able to embed our cover photo into the MP3, uh, which is one of the steps that we have to do when we post-produce it. And we have to do it in iTunes. It's the only way that I've really found to be able to do that. Uh, but as soon as we did that, I thought it would be cool to put the background image in as well. Um, and then as soon as I did that, you know, like it came to me actually while we were doing the live stream, I realized that we could actually embed the, the metadata in the image as well. So that just kind of spiraled out of control. Um, so now the MP3s that you download from our site will actually have a background image with the episode number embedded on it and the date and the title of the episode. So it should be pretty cool. Um, and also the uh, the sharing images for like Twitter and Facebook also look a lot better now too because they all have that information on them. Yeah, it looks, re it looks really good uh, from what I've seen anyway. Yeah, I, I started sharing some things in Slack just to see what they look like. I, I particularly like the last Jedi one. I thought that looked pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, it looks looks great. Yeah. So I don't know how many people will actually. I like. I don't know where that shows up, um, like in iTunes or uh, Overcast. Actually, I should pull up Overcast and see. But yeah, so that that so th those are the first features. Um, and now we we actually just published. Uh, I think it was episode fifty five uh, with uh, Nicholas on the accessibility stuff. So that's the first episode that I actually uploaded an MP3 and added the content to it before. And then it published, well, at least the RSS reader that looked in our Slack channel, uh, yep. I think it picked it up within 15 minutes. So that felt really good to see that. Let's see that podcast. Ooh, the first one. No, that's not what we're looking for. So yeah, we, we still have probably, I don't know, two or three uh, episodes that we recorded like months ago that I have to get up on online. But honestly, getting this site updated is going to make that a lot better because before, the, the way that it would work is I would get one episode ready and that usually takes about one to two hours to do it all manually. And then I don't really feel like putting the next one up because I can't put it up. I'd have to like create the MP3 and then let it sit for two weeks or three weeks. And if I do four in advance, it's just a pain. Um, so now I can actually just sit down one day and I can probably do our episode now tonight uh, or make it be ready by tomorrow. Like I can turn them around really quickly, but even if we get behind, we can still turn them around pretty quickly and just schedule them to 
come out when they're ready. So it's going to make a big, big impact on our, our podcast, at least. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, yeah it sounds good. So <clears throat> probably it might save us a few dollars as well. Um, we, what yep. we're using Simplecast before, and it's not, not expensive by any means, but mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, I guess we'll have to see what the S3 fees are like for streaming yeah. and downloads. The S3 fee, uh, yeah. So I, I hooked up uh, S3 for those. Um, I think analytics, like building our own custom analytics, is going to be one of the things that I'll do as like a mini uh, live session um, so that we can start tracking that. Uh, in the meantime, we're not going to be able to see anything on Simplecast anymore because all of the content is being served from S3. Uh, but also we have the Heroku fees. <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we're, we traded our uh, Simplecast monthly fee for. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, because you we we saw that, didn't we? Because it's a, an organization, mm-hmm. you can't do the hobby. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, like that. So, and, yeah, so what, and so as soon as what's the price for a cheapest diner? I think it's seven dollars a month. Right. Okay. But um, I haven't turned it on yet. But we're going to need to turn on the consumer, uh, and the consumer dino can't be the hobby dino i don't think so i'm not sure i haven't i haven't flipped it on yet just because i'm still looking at them by hand that's actually something i got to do for the first time like uh i feel really silly saying this but i'd never worked with a proper queue before (laughs) for like background processing and asynchronous stuff um but i actually got to set up rabbit um both projects now have worked with uh the symphony messenger component so it's kind of been trial by fire learning that stuff live in front of people. Uh, but it works. I like it. Um, but there's, there's things that I ha- I'm not handling just yet. Like if the consumer actually fails, um, it recues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, if it fails, chances are it's going to fail every time. So really what I need to do is figure out the whole dead letter exchange sort of thing. Um, but I, I don't know how to configure that. So right now, at least for uh, the, that podcast stuff, since it's more complicated, I'm just running the consumer by hand uh, using Heroku Run, and then it just sits and processes everything. But it's slow. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, processing our entire catalog um, took about two and a half to three hours the first time we imported everything. Um, so I had to actually turn it back on again, uh, like like the... Heroku run canceled itself somehow or whatever. It just sat there and got stuck. Um, so yeah, I, I need to figure out the dead letter stuff. Um, but as soon as I turn that on for real, then we'll be able to see how much Heroku is actually going to cost us. Cool. Yeah. It looks like I have the episode downloaded here on. Let's see. Ah, no, it still shows. It shows the, 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 episode photo for the actual episode or for the, the, the podcast, not the episode. Oh, oh no. What if you play? Yeah. When I actually play it, yeah, it shows that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty sweet. Pretty excited about that. Cool. Yeah. So that, that, that was kind of a, a last minute addition that, that I wasn't sure we'd be able to get onto it, but um, I really just needed to be done so that we could publish that episode <laughs> and so that we could start publishing more. I've, I realized as I was working on this that I started it at the end of September and the pre- last episode before this last one was 
on October 18th. <laughs> so it's been, it had been over a month since we'd published the previous episode. So I, I really wanted to get it done quick. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. So how about you? What have you been working on these days? Um, unfortunately, nothing too interesting on the side. Uh, I just not really been able to make time for anything. Um, mm-hmm. So with work, um, the only really interesting thing I've been working on is I've, I've finally succumbed and started to um, brush up on my front end sort of skills and knowledge. Um, so it was been a while and we're trying to get to start. We need to start making the front end a little bit more interactive. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd played with Vue for a few different things, uh, but I'd always just loaded it via the CDN on those specific pages. Um, and there was a few other things that sort of slowly pushed me in the direction. I was using more and more Tailwind style stuff. So at the minute while I'm sort of using Tailwind, I'm actually pretty much copy pasting the bits of Tailwind that I would like to use mm-hmm. in to my existing project. Um, and it's actually been quite a nice way to adopt it because I've sl- I actually understand it very well based on on doing that Uh, but also it's like incrementally letting me add bits of tailwind and then get rid of my custom actual proper css Mm -hmm. or the old crufty legacy css as i go Uh, how are are you copying in the pieces that you want from tailwind like are you actually using tailwind proper and saying enable these pieces or are you i'm I'm literally copy and pasting the bits that i want (laughs) Okay, cool. So can you imagine the the padding, all mm. the padding classes? So I grabbed those with the media queries for the, just based on the standard build of Tailwind, grabbing them, popping them in my CSS. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the view to eventually putting it all in proper. Um, mm-hmm. So so I guess that it was about time I started replacing. We have a very... We had a very basic uh, sort of build for the front end where I concatenated files. I did some, I used uh, sort of sprockets style uh, comments in, so I'd have one target application.css file, and then in CSS comments, I'd have require Mm -hmm. this file. So my make file actually had some shell scripting that would inline those other files and put it through mm-hmm. a minifier and the same for the javascript basically um but that's all switched out now we're using webpack and proper javascript modules um the css is pretty much mostly all the old css still but eventually that will get i'll remove all my copy and pasted tailwind and drop the actual tailwind bin building it mm-hmm. um you see i i could have done something like the the reason being i didn't want to put the full Tailwind building was because I already had several kilobytes of CSS already and I didn't want to drop it all in, mm-hmm. you know, increase that font, that file size by double or whatever. And and I'm just not confident enough to put something like paired CSS into play because the project's old, there's stuff everywhere, yeah. you know. Uh, there could even be sort of uh, some content in databases, you know, that uses styles in the style sheet. That, so even though style's not present in the code, it might still be used somewhere or weird things like that. So, mm-hmm. But it, eventually I will get there. So I'm cool. using Webpack. 
we're doing things the proper way. As far as I can tell anyway, Webpack's pretty confusing, uh, but it's far better than it used to be. And I, I did actually get going quite quickly with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, we've adopted Stimulus.js as a framework to use for the time being. Um, in, I, I like it. Um, I particularly like the tagline, that, and a lot of people commented on the tagline. Uh, it's JavaScript framework for the HTML you already have. Uh, and basically you're connecting to existing HTML, so you're not building the HTML or like you would do uh, with Vue or React or however, mm-hmm. or other ones that I don't, I'm not really aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's working very nicely for most of the stuff we have on, on the platform. The, the stuff it's not working very nicely for is the things where I've used Vue previously and I've tried to convert and it's messy just because... Vue is really good at generating that HTML for you. Um, and it doesn't work quite as well if you try and do it server-side and front-side mm. together. Um, mm. But all in all, uh, I like it, and it's a good stopgap for me. Cool. Uh, with a view to eventually getting um, Turbo Links running as well. Um, so Turbo Links is something that I, I think I first heard about it maybe a year and a half ago and didn't really get it or want to try it. But I think you mentioned it recently too. And um, have you, you said you had a bookmark lit, right? That turns yeah, that's most... right. Um, I have, it, it's a bookmark market that basically loads table links from some CDN somewhere and turns it on. Um, uh, if you're not familiar with table links and the listeners are not familiar, it's a, uh, a JavaScript library that came out of uh, rate or thirty-seven signals or Rails, whatever, mm-hmm. and basically it intercepts uh, clicks and form posts as well. If you like, if you'd like it to, turns that click into a uh, XHR request or XH request, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets a return, it swaps the body, swaps the body out for the body that came back from the uh, the server in the Ajax request. So what you're doing is you're skipping the loading of JavaScript files and CSS for every request. So rather than fetching the full page, well, it does fetch the full page, but rather than reading all the head again, running all the JavaScript again, passing all the CSS again, you're just swapping out the body. Uh, and it, it looks nice. Mm. Um, it the things you have to be careful are things, um, the way you attach JavaScript to things. Um, you know, if you do things like you set timeouts or, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden the things have gone, you need to make yeah. sure they get canceled mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And, and um, doing things on load is obviously slightly different uh, now. But if you use something like Stimulus, Stimulus is already built to use with uses those in, so in as, mind. as I slowly moved more and more towards stimulus, it should be relatively easy for me to turn turbo links on. And it does yeah. give you just that little bit more of a feeling of a, a, a sort of a native app or yeah. a single page app feel without having to do a lot of the hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I wanted to try it and I actually gave it a try on Astrocast. Um, and I don't think this one actually got recorded because uh, it was one of those things I just wanted to do one night for fun. Um, and it, even though my site is relatively easy, the two pieces of JavaScript that were on it that weren't mine didn't play well with it. 
um, was the the intercom widget uh, was being reloaded every page, and I I probably tried for forty five minutes, and I never got that to work. Uh, and that there was stuff with uh, a status app that I have. Uh, I think it's headway.co. Yeah, or headwayapp.co. That um, that little header bar, and I think it was one of the things that you're talking about with like the, the set timeouts, is there was some sort of set timeout somewhere that showed the widget so that if you clicked around too fast, the widget would keep showing up. <laughs> so it eventually filled up the navigation bar with the little widgets. Um, I finally got that one almost to work and I was maybe ready to use it, but the JavaScript actually stopped executing. So I could click on it on the first page load, but as soon as I clicked on other pages, it no longer opened anything. So I had to, th I had to throw away that effort, but, um, I am excited to try it and I hope I can figure some of that stuff out because it does seem like an like a easy win to make your site feel faster. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, and there are some fairly complicated uh, sort of settings and options you can do. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know how well it works, but you can tell it a particular uh, element on the page should be maintained. Yep. So it, that, that's it, what I was trying to do with the, the intercom widget and this other one. So yeah, you can specify which things. Yeah. So don't swap this yeah. one out. Um, yeah. And things like that. And then you can, you can, you can white uh, blacklist certain pages. So they always get fetched and re-rendered properly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you can, um, I don't know if it comes with one, but you can definitely add sort of like a little uh, loading bar across the top, you know, cause obviously when they click, they'll no longer see the traditional, Right. loading in the tab bar or whatever it is um, that Chrome or Firefox and Safari do. Um, but yeah, it, and it, like I say, um, it, it's pretty well proven. It's been used in, in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, I'm improving the, the, the front-end code anyway. Uh, and if I, ever, if, I, if I don't ever get to turn on Turbo Links, it wouldn't it won't have been a wasted effort to get to this place now because yeah. all the front-end code's far better. Um, I'm actually getting to the point now where I'm thinking I could actually start writing some decent tests for my JavaScript, which is something I've never done uh, just because I, I do some full browser tests, you know, but I meant specifically sort of unit-style isolated tests for just running in the JavaScript and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so um, something that I've tried to do for that podcast site uh, a while back was not have the hamburger menu. So I've, I've read mm -hmm. some UX stuff that that's not necessarily the best thing. Like nobody knows what it's called. Like we call it a hamburger menu, but if I, if I tell Beck, click the hamburger menu, you're, she doesn't know that's what it's called. <laughs> she, and she doesn't even know, like apparently people are just going to learn it because they have to, because everybody uses it. Um, but at least with that podcast, I wanted to experiment with not having that. So anytime you look at any of our pages, um, the, social media icons eventually change and then you just see the menu because it's always visible. Uh, that didn't really scale very well on Astrocast site. So I decided I wanted to use the hamburger menu. Have you tried to add the hamburger menu using like vanilla JavaScript or CSS or anything like that for systems that don't just have it built in like Bootstrap? Uh, I might have. I don't really know. It's it's a pain. Like if you don't if you're not using jQuery, or if you're not building a view component, um, there aren't any good examples for how to do this in like basic JavaScript, like just really easily. Um, so I went to the uh, the Tailwinds page because I knew that the docs 
are online because I've contributed to the docs for Tailwind um, and, and realized that I could go see what their navigation looks like. Um, and it's way more complicated than I expected, even though it's only 95 lines of code. That's because over half of it looks to be implementing essentially uh, TurboLinks. The, the, Excuse me. Sorry. Sure. The nav.js looks like it's it says make an Ajax request to get the page content. It gets the title from the HTML it downloads. It does some other weird things. Does some scroll top push state. I think it's I think they've implemented <laughs> essentially the same thing that you would get from uh TurboLinks, but in about fifty lines of JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um they have quite a captive audience, so so I don't mm. think they're too concerned about any browser compatibility and things like yeah. that. So yeah, I just thought I you know I went there to look for what they were doing and to close the sidebar and open the sidebar, and they're using jQuery. Um, and as much as I've been trying to be pragmatic about the stuff that I've been working on lately, I just don't want to have to do jQuery. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have this whole build system that comes with Webpack and everything. I don't want to end up doing inline jQuery anymore. Like that, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you should have to do that. But sometimes it looks like the easiest solution is just to use jQuery, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been sort of removing a little bit of jQuery as I've gone. Um, but to be honest, it a lot of the time. It is fairly useful, just and I mean, at one point, I I think I tried importing Lodash to see how how that worked out instead of using jQuery. Because I mean, I still I still quite often use you know dollar each for yeah you know for iterating over things with jQuery yeah. and 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 some of those things and um, Lodash was massive. I didn't realize how big it was. Um, I think you can. <laughs> I think you can actually import the bits that you like rather than all of it now. But, mm-hmm. but even so, I was a bit like, uh, I think I'll just stick to jQuery rather than working out which bits of Lodash I need and then and so on and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I've been uh, visiting, uh, you might not need jQuery. Have you seen that site? Uh, I've been visiting that quite a bit to try and figure out how to do the minimal stuff. Uh, the biggest things that I've found that I actually need are add class, remove class, um, and then the query selector stuff. But it looks like you can just use the built-in JavaScript uh, query selector at this point, and it looks reasonably well-supported. Um, so I've been able to get away with probably four or five functions from that site uh, to actually be able to do things. Um but yeah, it was it was not easy to to do that. And at a certain point, I'm wondering: am, am I fighting this too hard? Um, should I just use jQuery? Uh, but so far, I've managed to avoid it. I'm pretty excited about that, even though it's been somewhat painful. Yeah. So you meant, it's funny you should mention the uh, the hamburger menu thing. I actually split tested that sort of one point. Um, so a, a button that had the hamburger on. Or a book button that literally said menu, mm-hmm. and there was no difference at all in engagement. Mm. Whether so that suggested to me that even if the hamburger icon wasn't 
as clear as the word menu, it didn't stop anyone from tapping it and finding out, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Be- because if it, it, there was literally no difference in the amount of clicks on the button. Percentage-wise of people who were on the page that had the icons clicked it just as much if it was menu as if it was a hamburger. Mm-hmm. I didn't measure speed or anything like that, but as long as people are finding the menu, it didn't really bother me. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's the big reason I just decided that it needed to go. I actually got a Google uh, Webmaster Tools warning that my icons were too close together for the navigation. So I took that opportunity to fix up the mobile view and also add the add the little clicker thing. So, yeah. Have you done anything with web components? No, um, I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, I think mean, to be honest, I'm a bit far behind in terms of the browsers and what supports what. But things like that, I mean, are they fairly cutting edge? Are they supported on Internet Explorer um, eleven? Let's see here. Can I use? Uh, web components. So they have a, um, they do have a polyfill. Let's see here. Yeah, I mean, the polyfills just don't always do it for me either. I mean, yeah. The, it's very painful how how big the polyfills I have to include already are. For- yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see here. So the, the funny thing is that web components is actually kind of a big thing. Um, it's not just one th- one thing. <laughs> it's uh, so like if you go to the Can I Use page, it has uh, Shadow DOM, HTML templates, and then custom elements v0, HTML imports, and custom elements v1. Um, yeah. It looks like the custom elements v1 is pretty much where I got to uh, in the stuff I was doing. I did th- some things with Shadow DOM, but I think I misunderstood stuff, um, and it wasn't required. And everything became a lot more simple <laughs> as soon as I got rid of the shadow DOM bits of the code. Uh, yeah. But- well, I mean, uh, I just looking at the summary at the bottom, uh, 33% of compatibility with Safari. It's just not worth me looking mm-hmm. at this point. Safari is our biggest browser by a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd still need to support IE. And there's That's- nothing for that. You know, so things like that, I just basically don't bother looking at because it's going to be so long before I have to, you know, or I could could really look at it. Uh, so, yeah, I've not done anything with it. Interesting. I thought that these numbers were a lot better back in the day. So, I mean, it, wait, are you seeing Chrome 36%? Is that what you thought it said? No, Safari 33%. Ah, Safari. Okay. I'm looking at the summary at the very bottom, which is a calculation of the... Yeah, Dif- different things above. Mm-hmm. So 100% for Chrome, although the newest version of Chrome says 50%. They must have messed something up. Hey, can you send me your link that you're looking at? Because I think I'm looking at a different one. Yeah, sure. Because uh, I thought this was an awesome thing, but if, uh, for some reason I, my, I thought my numbers were different in terms of what you could actually use. Um... Calculation support, currently selected criteria. Okay, I see what you're looking at then. Uh, 
probably it's probably not really that relevant as a whole figure because if if custom elements have been yeah sh- two of the things are version zero and version one so version zero is what really matter will they yeah but even so so if you take um, custom elements version one uh, Safari only has I'm having a hard time understanding what these are saying Safari has partial support for custom elephant custom elements ah uh, but it can't customize the built-in elements okay uh supports but what do those numbers mean are the, is that 63% for firefox 70% for chrome and 12 for safari uh no they're the version numbers okay so where do you see the well, right down at the bottom mm-hmm. scroll right down mm mm-hmm. There's a calculation of support. Now, I took the to be Chrome 72, 100% supports it. Oh, okay. Whereas Safari Technology Preview only supports 33% of the features, I guess. Okay. But it's probably a bit, it's probably not that relevant when it's showing two different versions of a feature on the page. Right? Yeah, I was wondering if there was a way to look from the specific feature. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, cool. Anyway, um, I took a look at that. That's been kind of interesting. You know, if I, like I've done work with React in the past, like a considerable amount of work with React, and I've done a fair amount, not, but not a fair amount, actually a less amount with, say, Vue. Um, I'm trying to figure out if it makes sense to work more with, like, React or try to do Vue or try to use web components. Um, because it seems like there's a lot, a lot of the reasons that I would use React or Vue, some of the, the simpler edge cases maybe seem to be things that could be handled pretty easily using custom elements. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to see how they worked. Uh, there's a bunch of those things that I need to learn more about. Uh, the other thing is the progressive web uh, PWAs. What are those? Progressive, progressive web apps. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, I don't remember if we talked about it before, but I, when I had seen that in the past, I just thought it was the same thing as like progressive JavaScript, but apparently it's its own thing. Um, yeah. There's like loads of different things you can, you can use these lighthouses, the tool to audit it, isn't it? And mm-hmm. the biggest thing I'm aware of um, for the progressive web apps is that you have to install a, what do you call them? Do you call them workers? Yeah. Web service workers. Yeah, you have to be running one of those that will respond if you are offline. Mm-hmm. So instead of, there shouldn't ever be an offline sort of page, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you're if there is no internet access, your web service worker will kick in and still make the app work to as best its ability without being online. And think that's something I recall seeing in the audits and stuff, but I don't know. And there's all sorts of weird things about having and if you if you pass all the tests, they'll let you put an icon on the home screen on, and it and it acts like an app, doesn't it, or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It uses the the manifest to define things like the That's icon right, yeah. and the the load screen and all these other things. Um, it looks like you can define whether you want the app to open in a browser looking window or a full screen browser or a like a native shell type thing. Yeah. Um, it looks pretty cool. I'd like to do more with it, but. 
the, between that and web components and who else, who knows what else <laughs> that I'm missing, uh, it does seem like there's a lot of stuff happening out in browser and HTML land that I think I'd like to get get a little more experience on, at least knowing what's there. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, if you want to run that, if you go in the Chrome, Chrome Developer Tools, you can run the Lighthouse audit from in there, I think. Uh, and it'll tell you some of the stuff about what you need to make your app a progressive web app. Mm. It's not something I've looked at too much. I just uh, noticed this, that, and the other. Oh, cool. Nice. Well, I think we're getting pretty long based on our recent episode lengths, so I think we might need to, to call this one a quits unless you have something yeah. else you want to talk about. No, I'm losing my voice anyway. I've got a bit of a cold. <laughs> uh, it's that time of the year. And yeah. Yeah, I'm struggling a bit, so yeah, I'm happy to... Uh, to finish this one when you're maybe already alright cool alright well I guess let's call this one a wrap then you've been listening to that podcast with Bo and Dave you can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled G-R-I-L-L-O.